What's up, guys? Welcome to a brand new episode of DC and RC. I'm Daniel Cormier. That's my guy, Ryan Clark. Ryan Clark, coming up on the show today, we are going to be joined by Mark Ramundi, our ESPN MMA insider. This dude knows it all. He's going to talk to us about Conor McGregor. Then we will preview UFC on ABC this weekend from Jacksonville as Josh Emmett takes on Ilya Taportia. Big moment for Ilya. And as always, we tap in and tap out. But guys, as you know, every summer, UFC International Fight Week is massive. That doesn't change this year. This year, UFC 290 is July 7th and 8th, live from Las Vegas. It's also UFC X. And for more on that, take a look at this video package we got for you. UFC X is back. Celebrate UFC's 30th anniversary with the largest premier two-day immersive fan experience for fight fans. Friday, July 7th and Saturday, July 8th. Get unrivaled access to UFC athletes and personalities, interactive brand and sponsor activations, plus all the fan-favorite attractions. It all goes down during UFC International Fight Week at the Las Vegas Convention Center. Tickets on sale now at AXS.com. Guys, UFC X is a phenomenal event, and I am so excited to right now break to you guys that DC and RC coming live to UFC X. Ryan Clark, you were there last year by yourself. You said you were very surprised at the reception and how people were coming up to you. This year, you and I get to go there, do a yeah. show in front of the fans live. How excited are you about not only going, Ryan, but going with your boy? We going together. Well, you know what? I'm more excited about going with you because we get to see how much more people in UFC like me as compared to you. <laughs> you know, the, when this show started, you were UFC's darling. You had the Dana yes, yes, White yes, yes, yes. privilege. Now, whether it's fighters or fight fans, they realize who the real sweetheart is <laughs> on this show. You may look like a teddy bear, but I truly <laughs> am one. Nah, just playing, bro. Look, listen, last year was a great time. I enjoyed being there. I enjoyed talking to different fighters from past and present and even future. But it's going to be so much better to be there with you, bro. Get an opportunity to do a show. Listen, when you're an international fight week with and a UFC Hall of Famer, that's a whole different level of elite. And that's what we're going to be doing. We're going to do the show on Friday. We plan to have guests on the show. Hopefully my son Jordan can actually join. He's excited to be there during that week as well. This is what the UFC is about. And Dana White and the UFC has made this week bigger than just fights. So I'm really excited about that. Yeah, I'm pumped. I'm pumped. I have not been to UFC X for a while now. Before, we would look at the lines, the lines of people that were trying to get to meet you. I am anticipating now so many people taking part in DC and RC Live from UFC X. It's one of the biggest events in the UFC. You get to meet your favorite fighters. You get to shake hands with them. And RC, I'm going to tell you this. I was the UFC's darling, but now everybody gets mad at your boy. But it's okay because I love it. One thing I did recognize the RC, I said my boy made it. When you did a report from UFC X, and we ran it on the broadcast. I was like, okay, RC. Okay, okay. He, got, he did it. He did his thing. That was, yeah. that was cool, man. It was cool to see, bro. I'm happy that you're getting to yeah. enjoy this part of the sport. And I hope that Jordan gets to do it too in July. Yeah, man. I think it's, it's just one of those weeks that shows you whether UFC 
has now, what the UFC has now become, how the fans are absolutely wrapped up and enthralled in anything that they do. And to get an opportunity to be that close to the men that and women they see inside the octagon that they love, that they idolize, and that they continue to realize are the, 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 the stars of this sport going forward in the future. I think it's one of those events that everyone will continue to love and we are excited to be a part of that. I think... When we talk about the UFC and you speak about its stars, you also have to realize that those stars are people. And yep. people go through real-life situations, real-life circumstances, and instances. On June 9th, Conor McGregor was attending Game 4 of the NBA Finals between the Miami Heat and the Denver Nuggets. And during that time, there was an alleged sexual assault that took place and now the Miami Heat police officers are investigating it and it's an ongoing investigation. So to help us kind of get through some of the details and find out the latest information on the Conor McGregor case, we're gonna bring in ESPN insider, MMA insider, Mark Ramundi. Mark, how you doing, brother? Uh, I'm great, guys, how are you? Uh, doing yeah, really well. I know you've been tapped into what's going on with Conor McGregor and the sexual assault allegation. What's some of the information that you can give us on where things stand right now? Yeah, I think you did a good job uh, kind of uh, breaking it down in the beginning, Ryan. So right now, the Miami, the city of Miami police is investigating this report that was filed on June 11th by a woman who says that she was at the game with Conor McGregor on June 9th, game four of the NBA Finals, and he sexually assaulted her. So the police are looking into it. McGregor has not been charged with anything. It's really just an investigation at this time. The woman does have a lawyer, and the lawyer has sent legal letters to Conor McGregor and his team, to the Miami Heat, and also the NBA, uh, essentially, more or less threatening litigation if, if they don't uh, they don't comply with her demand. So that's kind of where things are right now. No charges, but there are some threats of, uh, of legal, uh, you know, of, of litigation and lawsuits. Conor McGregor finds himself in this situation and you say that she's threatening litigation if they don't deal with her demands. Is it financial demands that she is after? Uh, even though, you know, I understand how serious the allegations are, but what are those demands? Do you have any insight as to what she's demanding from not only Conor McGregor and his team, but the NBA and the Miami Heat? I mean, it seems as though she is threatening just about everyone involved. Yeah, great question, DC. And I, I think a lot of people do figure that, okay, this woman has a lawyer. She's sending these legal letters to McGregor, the Heat, and his team. There might be, you know, some acts of, of, of financial things. The letters that I were, was able to obtain from the lawyer for this woman uh, basically outline that uh, it, it's basically saying that, that there could be a lawsuit. There could be lawsuits against all the parties that I just mentioned that. And the letters say, you know, you have to uh, basically the letters are saying you have you better you better save all your text messages. Don't delete anything. You know, all, all of these things. Um which would be things that would lead to litigation, right? A lawsuit where you don't want to be, you know, getting rid of documents or getting rid of anything oh. like that. Uh, and it's, it's that kind of thing. There were no, you know, there were no demands in those letters of anything financial at this time. But it sounds like it certainly points to that, to that direction in the future if it goes in that way. Uh, from the beginning, Conor McGregor and his representation has said that he did 
no wrong. And there was no wrongdoing on McGregor's behalf. Ariel Mitchell, who is the attorney for the woman that is involved in this case, said that they can prove through video that she was with Conor McGregor before the incident. But now we've also seen Conor McGregor, at least in video, alleging that they were together after the situation was supposedly or had supposedly taken place. When you look at everything that has gone on since the time of the allegation or accusations, where does this case stand now for Conor and also the woman involved? Yeah, that's a good question, Ryan. And uh, it should be noted that McGregor's team has said several times that these are intimidation tactics, that they feel like this is a shakedown uh, of McGregor. And of course, they're denying all the accusations and allegations. So as far as his team, you know, he, he has a lawyer and, he, you know, he has a team around him, of course, too. And, you know, they're as far as I know, they haven't actually responded to any of these legal letters and they're going to let, you know, the police do their job in an investigation. Well, Mark, man, we appreciate you. It's always good to have someone who is locked in on the inside of these situations to sort of give us clarity on the information that we're getting because you're getting it from everywhere. You don't know what's a reliable source and what's not, man. So we appreciate your time. DC, the, the one big thing that you're looking at when you're Conor McGregor and it's, act, it's actually difficult because the bigger star you become, the less you can do, the less you can be out, the less you can surround yourself with people that you don't know. So it's, it's extremely important that your circle in some way insulates you from these incidents. But you have to pick people who are willing to tell you no. You have to pick people who are willing to hold you accountable. And so I think going forward, that's something that Conor McGregor is going to have to look in mm -hmm. and search inside himself and say to himself, do I have the right people around me? One last point, RC. You know how you said that you almost become a victim to the fame? You and I don't know that level of fame. No. We just never got there. But you almost become a victim to the fame and it seems as though he's unwilling to let go of that, to let go of the idea that he can do less, that he has to be insulated, that he has to be surrounded by people that say no. But as you and I both know, especially fighters, as you sign all the checks, people are less likely to say no to you yep. because they don't want to let go of the money. And I think that is what McGregor finds himself in that situation. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Jared Cannonier this weekend had a performance for the ages against Marvin Vittori. We're talking about the same Jared Cannonier that two fights ago was inside the octagon with Israel Adesanya and wasn't active and didn't get after him and didn't continue to pressure. He said after this fight, as you see there, he landed 241 strikes, which is the most in the middleweight division, the fourth most overall in any fight in the UFC's history. He, he was absolutely putting pressure on Marvin Vittori. And if you go back to that fight, DC, he was clipped two times in the first round, especially as he was fighting Southpaw, attempting to attack that lead leg of Marvin Vittori. He rebounds from that, he finishes strong, and then every round from there, it was relentless pressure. He said he wanted to show that he's a different type of fighter than we saw that night inside the octagon with Israel Adesanya, and he absolutely has been. We go to Sean Strickland, and now we move to this fight night against Marvin Vittori. DC, how can you explain a fighter being so different from one fight to two fights later against Marvin Vittori? You know, you kind of alluded to the Adesanya fight. 
when we were talking about Irene Aldana a couple weeks ago, RC, we mentioned that fight in terms of a challenger just not really giving himself a chance. We talked about Cannoneer not attacking Izzy. It's unreal to think that this guy could be in there with a guy in Marvin Vittori that has proven to be difficult against anyone that he fights. Anyone he fights, he's proven to be difficult. Cannoneer had no problem with him. Outside of those moments that Vittori had, Cannoneer had no problems with him. He controlled him. He dictated the pace of the fight. He hurt him on a number of occasions. And by the end of that fight, only thing that kept Marvin Vittori up is that he is just as tough as any human being walking yes. the planet. Just the can't only drop reason the dude. He was able, <laughs> can't dude, drop the you dude, You can't stop bro. it. <laughs> he, he, there's no way. He's so stubborn. Vittori's stubborn. Whether you're saying something against him or for him, he gets mad at you. Marvin Vittori has now never been knocked out, and he's absorbed over a 1,000 significant strikes. He's got an iron chin. And that is the only reason he was able to withstand the damage that he took from Jared Cannonier. But for Jared Cannonier to look like he has looked at 38, 39 years old tells you that this guy does not see the finish line. What he sees is another opportunity. And in a weight class RC that is very top-heavy, Yeah, it's not that hard to work your way back to Israel Adesanya. And if he gets another chance, he will be the guy, RC, that shows people like Irene Aldana that if you can get there once, you get back, you can be a completely different fighter the moment you step back in the octagon with one of the champions. You know, now, let's be straight up here at DC because you've been inside the octagon with the best of the best. Sometimes it's not just that the lights are bright, it's that the person you are fighting is just that dang good. Yes. Donya saw it fighting against Amanda Nunes and Jared Cannonier saw that against Israel Adesanya. So that changes the way that you approach fights. But to watch what he was able to do against a guy like Marvin Vittori, who has been inside the octagon with uh, Israel Adesanya two times and Israel Adesanya couldn't finish him as well. I think just to show that sort of pressure, that sort of skill level, because he also mixed in the takedowns and he also missed, mixed in the, the, the takedowns and the ground and pound. He really showed a diverse level of skill inside the octagon against Marvin Vittori. But there is essentially a number one contender fight between Robert Whitaker and Drakus Duplessis that is coming up. And you heard Jared Cannonier kind of mention that after his fight. After a performance like this against a guy as well-respected as Marvin Vittori, how much closer has Jared Cannonier put himself to getting that second opportunity at a championship against Israel Adesanya? I think he's putting himself a lot closer. RC, here's the issue. Robert Whitaker has been so good for so long that even though he's lost to Izzy twice, he beats Drakus. He may feel like we need to see it again, especially after the second fight was so close. But Jared Cannonier has only been in there once with the champion. So he's closer. He's much closer to uh, earning another championship opportunity. But I do believe he needs one more because Izzy is pressing very hard for Duplessis to win. And if Drakus does win, that's easy uh, a fight. But then if Robert Whitaker wins, how do you put Robert Whitaker not for a championship opportunity when he fought Jared Cannonier and beat him? So it's like 
Rob, Robert Whitaker's the 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 spoiled the spoiled apple of the bunch because nobody else can beat him but Israel Asanya. I think that speaks to who the Reaper is in terms of him as a competitor in the middleweight division. Because because RC, think about this: with the way Robert Whitaker has dominated everyone else in the weight class, he probably would still be the champion if Israel Asanya yeah. never came along because nobody right. else has been able to beat him. He would have held that belt for like seven years. And we'd be talking about him as one of the greatest all time. But there's an Israel Adesanya. He has another opportunity to put himself in a championship fight against the last style bender. What's something that works so well that it's basically magic? Air conditioning, noise-canceling headphones, meeting-free Fridays. Well, what about selling with Shopify? <laughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch at your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did-we-just-hit-a-million-order stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autograph apparel or selling sleek skis, Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling. Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash dcrc. All lowercase, go to shopify.com slash dcrc now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash DCRC. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. 
Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yeah, and I think that's the, that's the difficult part when you're looking at the middleweight division and how dominant Israel Adesanya has been. And if you go back to the two meetings between Robert Whitaker and Israel Adesanya, he was overzealous in that first meeting and he was stopped by Izzy. He came in with a different game plan in the second fight. It wasn't as exciting. It wasn't as much pressure forward, but it allowed him to have a much closer fight with the champion. And so maybe thinking that that third time could actually be the charm for Robert Whitaker. And I think a lot of people may see that if he dominates Drakus in this opportunity that we'll have coming up later on this year. Also, something else that happened this weekend was we finally got a face-off, D.C., that we've been waiting on. I've been waiting to see John Jones stand across for Francis Ngannou. This is what the people want. But it wasn't how we wanted to see it, D.C. John Jones in the the camouflage hat, trucker hat, and now we see John Jones in the T-shirt. We got Francis Ngannou in the old Nigerian garb. But this wasn't a face-off that said that they'll fight, whether it be the UFC, inside a boxing ring, in the PFL. This was just good old-fashioned fun. How big of a deal was it, DC, for you to see these two giants of MMA standing face-to-face finally? I think it's, it, it was, it, it's a big deal, RC, but it kind of sucks because it yeah. just reminds us that it won't happen. Because now that Francis is gone, there's no way... It could ever work. There's no way it could ever be cross-promoted to make it happen. Here's one thing I took from that, RC. I watched them come up to each other. And Francis ain't afraid of nobody. He's one of the baddest men on the planet. But, you know, as John's grabbing him, touching his arm, and he's talking to him, something changes in him whenever they're face-to-face. When Francis starts talking about being the king of the world, John said, I've always been the king. I've always been the best. And when you look at his facial expression, I've seen that before. When I, him and I would come into our interaction, when we were arguing, both of us had this idea that I am the best. Nothing is going to change that. And I could see that wash across his face with Francis, and he told him, I've always been the man. I've always been the man. I had to gain weight to get back here. But it showed me in that moment, John Jones ain't afraid of Francis Ngannou. Yes. Not at all. He ain't afraid of him at all. I saw it in his face. I saw it when it changed. I've always been the king is what he said, something to that, uh, in that, in that manner. And I, he believes that. DC, isn't that the, isn't that the thing in mixed martial arts? Isn't that the thing in any combat sports is when you feel like you're across from any man in the world, I'm the baddest at this. And I can't say that I've ever had that feeling because I haven't. Right. Like I I look at certain people and I go, yeah, I don't really know if I have a win with him. Right. Like I love you and you my dog and I'm a tough (laughs) dude, but I never look at you and go, yeah, man, you know, if me and D.C. get into it, I'm (laughs) going to elbow him in his face real quick and then I'm going to take him down. Right. I don't have those sorts of thoughts. But when John Jones is feeling Francis Ngannou's arm, he's actually sizing him up. He's standing in front of him and he's thinking to himself, how do I get my win? Because I know I'm going to get it, but how do I go about yes. doing it? And when you've been in the octagon with as many killers as John Jones has, bro, there is no fear because many have tried 
and all have failed. And I just thought it was a, a really cool, it was a really cool thing to see. You know, I talk about it all the time. Troy is my favorite movie, right? And when Achilles rode up to the gate and he was screaming for Hector to come down, there was no fear. Now, we have to remember, Hector was the baddest man in his world, right? Nobody else wanted a piece of Hector, but Achilles rode up by himself to the gates and started screaming his name. And I just think that that's so powerful. And that's the same way John Jones looked at Francis Ngannou. And it's going to be a shame, an absolute shame, if we never get to see those two men in a locked cage. So the, the, the thing is this, RC, when you said you're standing across from another man that um, feels like he's the best, RC, you could be like, fine, right? You could be fine, it's all good, and you're kind of jawing. And then something comes over you when you realize this person really does believe that they can get one over on you. And then that emotion of, I'm the baddest. You get a little bit angry, and you realize, I'm willing to do anything to beat this dude. Like, honestly, like, RC, it's like... <laughs> It's like sometimes it's hard for me to say, like, because I don't want to sound crazy. But it's like when I'm thinking next to a man and he face to face, like, you know, like, I'm ready to die. Like, I'll, I'm ready to die to beat yeah. this dude. Like, I'll kill you. Because, and maybe not literally, but like, you're going, you're going, you, you going, or I'm going. One of us going. Because it's really life or death out here. And that's like what you feel. And I'm telling you, everybody says John's a psychopath, and he might be. But I've been across from him in, in many of those instances, and I know that him and I are going through the same emotions of, yo, it's going to be you or it's going to be me. And one of us is just going to get it. And I, I could see it in his face. When Francis was in front of him, he got that same type of feeling, that same type of thought going through his head. Like, it's all smiling for a little bit, but eventually when, is that, when, it, when, it, when it go there, it kind of go there. Yeah. So I'm trying you see, to, I think the, the bottom line is this, bro. The, the way we see you guys, they see you as the gladiators <laughs> of sport. Fighters fight, though. Period, point blank. Like, they, like, it doesn't, you can turn it off to live your life, but when you're standing across from another man that does what y'all do, you immediately get in the posture of like, if this goes down outside of a cage, if it goes <laughs> down in a cage, if it goes down on the street, if it goes down in a press conference, it's got to be one of us. And I yep. like my chances, right? Like, I like me. But when you think about combat sports, you can't talk about boxing without speaking of Tyson Fury. Tyson Fury is the king of the ring. And we were just talking about who right now, at least, is the king of the octagon in John Jones. But Tyson Fury has some interesting comments about, I guess, what seems to be a contract offer to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with John Jones. And he said straight up, look, I've been offered some type of hybrid fight, and it's going to be me and John Jones. And here is what he said. There's talks of me and John Jones doing a hybrid fight as we talk right now. I, um, I received an offer from the UFC yesterday. Um, so you never know what's going to happen. Um, the future's bright, for sure. And there's a lot of options out there. You know, he says... It's a lot more out there, DC, and that there was sort of a hybrid fight brought up. If you, if, if you could be Dana White or if you could be some sort of 
boxing commissioner. We're going to make DC the combat sport warlord, right? What would be the perfect scenario for a hybrid fight between Tyson Fury and John Jones? Here's the problem, RC, and I believe this with every part of me. There are no hybrid set of rules that would work because I don't believe that if you go first round boxing, second round mixed martial arts, I don't believe that John Jones could last five minutes with Tyson yep. Fury in a straight boxing match. He's going to get knocked out. And if you go, well, mixed martial arts first, boxing second, there's no way Tyson Fury lasts five minutes with John Jones in a mixed martial arts contest. I don't even know, RC, if you could split the round in half and they're able to go the allotted time against the other guy in their skill. I just don't know if any of us have the ability to box Tyson Fury for three minutes. He hits too hard. He's too good at setting up his attacks in boxing. Ryan, I have a 72-inch reach, and I was able to box with John Jones. How in the world would he box Tyson Fury? Tyson, Tyson Fury's 6'8". He could not box him. And how would Tyson Fury do mixed martial arts with Jones? He would get taken down and he would get submitted or elbowed to death in less than two <laughs> minutes. Bro, it's exactly what happened to James Tony. If right. Randy Couture fought James Tony in boxing, he would have got knocked out as fast as Randy Couture submitted James Tony in mixed martial arts. There are no rules. It just doesn't work. Yeah. And, that, and that, that's the hard part, too, is we're putting someone who is great in one sport in a position that has no win against someone else who is great at their sport. And so it's just so difficult to make one of these hybrid fights, but it is extremely fun to talk about. But a fight that's not a hybrid fight, and it is UFC. RC, 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 you got a new spot in the house right now. Where is that sports Emmy, RC? Why is that? It's not up. Like, why would I put that up? Like, why would that be... Why would that be put in my your house sports Emmy. behind me? Put your sports Emmy up, man. Where is that? I was just thinking, like, where is the sports Emmy? Yo, if I had a sports Emmy, I'm going everywhere with it. I'm like Tim Sylvia. When he became the UFC champion, he'd wear his belt to the club, dog. I'm taking my sports Emmy everywhere I go. DC, do you walk around with your championship belts? No. You would only bring it to, like, press conferences or anything that was some sort of UFC event where – it seemed that it would make sense to have it. Same thing with my Super Bowl ring. I don't just walk around wearing you don't this wear big... It. No, I don't wear it. The same way you don't use your championship belts like a RC. regular belt to hold up RC. your dickies. RC, no. when, I go to the state, when I go to the store, RC, sometimes I got a belt in my truck that I just drop out. Like, oh, y'all forgot no, I was USC don't. champ? No, you oh, don't. Y'all forgot, y'all no, forgot I was the man? RC, sometimes no, I don't. take it in the basket no, with me. No, you don't, I'm bro. telling you, RC. <laughs> no, you don't, bro. No, you don't. Hey, man, let's get back to the fight. Uh, we have a great one coming up between Josh Emmett and Ilya Tapora. When you look at this fight, Josh Emmett is coming off of an opportunity he had to be the interim champ at 145 pounds that he loses yes. to Yair Rodriguez which puts him in this fight against Ilya. Now, think about the last four fights. Ilya Tapura finishes those, and he totally dominates Bryce Mitchell in his last attempt, even though Bryce said, I had the flu, some things were going on, and he submits him. When you look at this fight this weekend, is Josh taking a huge chance as a top five guy 
fighting down against yeah. a guy like Taporia? Yes, uh, Ryan. It's a massive, massive uh, risky fight for Josh Emmett. But I think when you're at a point where Emmett has now fought for the interim championship, he wants to make a splash, these are the types of fights that you have to take. You have to take the undefeated guy and you have to show him how to lose. That's just what it is because you can't just spin the wheels, right? You can't just try to wait on the top five for another opportunity. You go, you fight Ilya Taportia. You try to beat Ilya Taportia and you go, hey, I'm still here. I'm 38 years old, but I'm not done. But if he goes and he loses, RC, that's the other side of the coin. And the other side of the coin ain't pleasant. It's ugly. It's you coming to the realization that you can't compete at the highest level anymore because guys are passing you by. Massive stakes happen in Jacksonville. But if I'm Josh Emmett, I feel pretty good about it because I still possess power to finish anyone. Mm-hmm. There is a concern, though, because the Yaya Rodriguez fight was not close. He got beat up in that fight. Yeah. But Josh Emmett has to make some adjustments if he wants to hold off a very young guy that is still young and moving his way up the rankings. Because if Deportia wins this fight over number five Josh Emmett, he'll find himself right on the verge of the top five and on the short list of guys to be called contenders against Alexander Volkanovsky. Because when you have a dominant champion like Volkanovsky, he has beaten pretty much everyone. So a guy like Taportia, to have this chance, he needs to take advantage of it. We have seen this recently, RC. Not many guys in the top five want to give these young guys opportunities. We saw Rafael Faziv get his chance against Justin Gaethje. Gaethje was able to beat him, and now he's fighting for the BMF title. Josh Emmett understands that if he wins, there are big things coming. But he also understands that if he loses, it really is a harsh realization for him. Big moment for these guys. High stakes down in Jacksonville. Yeah, these are extremely high stakes. And, you know, those fights in Jacksonville are hype. I mean, talking about they lit from the time they start until yes. the time they finish. So this would be a great main event for the folks down there in Jayville. But let's think about this as well, DC. Max Holloway and the Korean Zombie that fight was also announced recently by Dana White. And it kind of speaks to you saying that Alexander Volkanovsky has had the featherweight division in a rear naked choke for years now, right? And we saw that trilogy between he and Max Holloway. And so now that Max Holloway has kind of moved into purgatory and having to fight a, fight a guy like the Korean zombie to make some of these exciting fights against people he hasn't stepped in inside the octagon with, would a Josh Emmett or Ilya Tapora winner essentially be a number one contender fight for these guys wow. based off of what we see happen between Alexander Volkanovsky and Yair Rodriguez down the line. You know, what's crazy, RC, looking at those rankings, it's the same as middleweight, right? Robert Whitaker and Izzy. Max Holloway's still the man because Max Holloway has beaten Yair. Max Holloway just beat, Max Holloway beat Calvin Cater. He beat Arnold Allen. He beat everybody. It's another one of those situations. But I think the Korean Zombie Holloway fight is one of those fights that's fun for the fans because Holloway did for the UFC what they asked. They asked him to fight the young stud in Arnold Allen. He beat him. You got to yeah. remember, RC, before that, he was asking for the zombie fight. He was like, yeah. he's one of the guys that I have not fought yet. He's one of the guys that has been in the game for a long time. He's a great fighter, and it'll be good for the fans. Finally, he goes and fights the young guy in Kansas City. He beats him. 
Now he gets rewarded with the fight that he wanted from the beginning against the Korean Zombie. And it's in Singapore. Let me tell you something, RC. They, almost, they tried to send me to Singapore. Man, I am so lucky. I got off of that one. That Singapore <laughs> trip is a beast. Bro, they almost had me going to Singapore again, dog, but I was able to Bro, get out of it. You're wow. ridiculous. <laughs> you hate, you only don't want to go because you hate the food in Singapore. Oh, it's That's terrible. all it's about. It's always about it's you terrible. eating, dog. And you sleep by 8.30 every night anyway. <laughs> it don't even matter. Have Cassandra bring you some noodles over there or something. Hey, dog. Get some I don't like, uh, Bring your like beef jerky. Bring hot. the beef jerky with you, too. bro. It's hey, hot, man. bro. It's hot. Man, it's he's hot tapping out. Hey, too. Jake, let's tap in. I'm tapping out <laughs> on DC and his level of toughness. All right, guys. Bantamweight <laughs> champion Aljamain Sterling recently stated that he plans to move up to 145 following his title fight against O'Malley at UFC 292. DC, tap in or tap out, Sterling moving up to featherweight. He told me, he told me, he told me personally, actually. He told me personally I tap in. He told me personally that the weight cut was getting too difficult. I mean, he fought Henry Cejudo in the following week. He weighed 169 pounds. Yeah. Now, was he a little fat? Sure. But he's growing. He's a big dude. And if he can retain his title, now... He should immediately get a championship opportunity against mm -hmm. Alexander Volkanovsky. Because Volkanovsky needs challengers. Why not give the guy coming up an opportunity if he's able to get through Sean O'Malley? Yeah, I tap in as well. Those weight cuts, even now that you're starting to get kind of an inside look to how difficult and dangerous they are, a guy like Aljamain Sterling is basically growing out of the bantamweight division. And so for me, I tap all the way in in this. And if he wins and beats Sean O'Malley, I would be excited to watch an Alexander Volkanovsky, Aljermaine Sterling fight. Okay, speaking of UFC 292, Brett Okamoto reported Monday evening that Henry Cejudo and Cheeto Vera will face off that night in Boston. RC, tap in or tap out, this fight will determine the number one contender at bantamweight. I think this fight determines the number one contender if... Aljermaine Sterling is the guy that leaves, right? So if Aljermaine Sterling beats Sean O'Malley and he leaves the division, then we all expect that Marab would be the next guy up and whoever would win this fight would now get an opportunity to fight him because obviously everybody wants to see Marab versus Henry Cejudo. That would be the fight. So I think if Henry Cejudo finds a way to beat Chito Vera, then he would be the number one contender. But if Chito Vera wins, I believe it gets tricky because we have to remember he was dominated by Corey Sanhagen in his last outing. You know, RC, I, I think that Marab is makes sense as the guy that's on one side of the title fight. But I think the winner of Nurmagomedov, Umar versus Sanhagen, might be yeah. the guy. Because Sanhagen, just like you said, just beat Chito Vera. Henry Cejudo just fought for the championship. I think Henry Cejudo, his saving grace would be the fact that he's the biggest name in the Bantamweight division, being a former double champion and Olympic gold medalist. So while he's on the short list, I think if Corey Sanhagen gets it done, he's the number one contender. DC. Henry Cejudo might too, get it over Umar. DC. Henry might get also, over Umar, though. DC, it's also about storylines. It's about yes. storylines. And remember, like... Henry immediately went after Marab, right? Right after yes, the fight. Yes, and yes, he can right. always say, he can also always say, though, I lost this fight coming off of retirement. It's, and and Algermain didn't just blow his doors off either. You're right, you're and so right. I think the UFC right. can make that case. He is the biggest star. He's the biggest name. Let's put him right oh, in there against Marab, who is Algermain Sterling's best friend. 
relentless competitor, a guy that'll go see, for 48, you know 49 mean? takedowns you know I mean? against this against Triple C, two division champion and Olympic gold medalist. My you bad, see what Jake. I mean, you RC? You see what I mean, RC? That's what I'm talking about. Like, you give me that back, and then you make me realize. I'm like, oh, I hate that. I hate that. He right. He right. I'm having the kind of thing. I'm like, he is right. You, you are right. My guys, rising flyweight contender Aaron Blanchfield has come out and stated she is interested in moving up to 135 and taking on Juliana Pena for the vacant Bantamweight title. DC, tap in or tap out on Aaron getting the first crack at the vacant title. I tap in. I tap in because guess what? She should be getting a title fight at 125. But because Valentina Shevchenko lost and she's having to run it back against uh, Alexa Grasso, it kind of ties up the division. Nothing else makes sense for Aaron Blanchfield. I tap all the way in on Aaron Blanchfield, Juliana Pena for the Bantamweight Championship. One thousand percent. I, I tap in as well. She was bred to be a UFC, a UFC champion. Absolutely bred to do it. And if you watch her fight against Jessica Andrade and you don't say to yourself that Erin Blanchfield has the stuff to be a champion, could you imagine that fight against Juliana Pena, who is relentless, Erin Blanchfield, who is relentless for a vacant title? I would tap all the way in on that being a co-main event or main event at a UFC pay-per-view. RC, she, Juliana Pena recently said she's the greatest female fighter of all time. There you go. Prove it. Aaron Blanchfield seems really, really good. All right, guys. This past weekend on Father's Day, Nick, Nick Saban's daughter posted a video of her father playing a boxing game wearing a VR headset. Damn. RC, Damn. tap in or tap out on Saban's, Saban's boxing technique. <laughs> Well, first off, my dog's shoulder's tight, but I tap all the way <laughs> in on it because at least me he ain't running. Nick Saban was my coach my last two years at LSU, and here's what I kept thinking about him. Any man who talks to grown humans or grown adult men the way that Nick Saban does better have some squabble, and at least I know my dog got at least a clean jab still to keep people off of him. I'll knock, knock Nick Saban's ass out. Hey, RC, I'll knock him out. That weak old uppercut with his He's right hand. Man, 70s, I tap bro. out, bro. You better knock Nick Saban I'll out. Knock, man, I'm knocking Nick Saban out, man. He coached at Alabama, man. Forget that dude, man. He ain't got no boxing skills. I tap all the way out on Nick Saban with his box, that weak right hand. He got that little weak right. What is that, an uppercut or like a jab uppercut? What is that, a jumper cut? That's a jumper cut. He, he, he fight, he's fighting a taller fighter. The fighter's taller than him. The right. virtual guy's right, taller fellas. than him, so he got to reach up. Before we go, want to send some well wishes to friend of the program, John Anik, and his chair after his recent fall. What is it going to take for a man to put Marvin Vittori away? I mean, it makes me think like, bear. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> going to have to let the suit out a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in shape. I'm in shape. It's not that I'm out of shape, Cody. Um, Sorry, Mom. So I'm doing the podcast from my mom's house. Holy Mom, can you bring me a towel, please? I just leaned back in my chair. The whole chair snapped. I need some new chairs, Mom, if I'm being honest, but I love you. RC, would you, would you run it or would you cut it from the episode? No, you got to run that. You have you to run that, DC. If that happens to me, we are absolutely running it running because it. people love nothing more than to see people they like or dislike who are on TV look like a fool. 
And so if I'm John Attic, always together, always keeping you and Rogan on a straight line, and I fall out of a chair, you absolutely have to show that, DC. I'm going to show it if your big tail fall out of a chair, but hey. believe that. Yeah, I done broke a couple chairs. You know what I'm My Duh. chairs break for different reasons. Hey, John Anik, John Anik had broke a couple chairs. John's chair must have been old. Mine break because I put too much weight on it. Hey, hey, hey they dropped that weight on him. Hey, RC, uh, Our, dog, go ahead. I already know. Your little chair, your little chair legs be wiggling like this. <laughs> they be under there shivering like they cold, like, like a stripper in church. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, guys. Every Tuesday, catch me and RC on YouTube, ESPN2, Midnight Eastern, and wherever you get your podcast. Ryan, dog, one of the best parts of my week is doing this show. My so voice fun. is so bad now because I'm doing my wrestling camp. 300 kids at my academy right now, RC. Are I got to back and do some more yelling. Hey, you have a great time at the camp. Every Tuesday, you catch me and DC. Don't forget, we will be at the UFCX International Fight Week. Catch me at DC. I'm RC. That's Daniel Cormier. And we are out. <laughs> <laughs>